Welcome one and all to the Integral Health Resources Podcast. This is Bob. And FYI, if you ever want to contact me for any reason, uh, you can do so using email. And that's bob at integralhealthresources.com. And you can also do so on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is at integral underscore health. At integral underscore health. So, you know, any questions or comments or anything like that uh, are definitely welcome. So this week uh, I was looking through some of the old archives and um, I did a series of blog posts Oh, gosh, 11 years ago or so. And at the time, I was working in a psychiatric hospital and um, really starting to form some of these ideas on, uh, you know, having an integral uh, model for for health, especially in a mental health setting, where I was, uh, you know, working in a context where the biological and the physiological were just uh, emphasized to almost the complete exclusion of, you know, the social, cultural, um, and, you know, psychological aspects of uh, people's problems and the treatment of those problems. And so I I went um, and just, I guess, trying to blow off some steam on my blog. At that time, I, I... riffed a series of rants um, that I titled the series Anxiety and Elephants. And I'll warn you, there's, you know, there's a couple of uh, uh, cuss words thrown in there, but, um, you know, it just, it would be just killing the vibe for me to try to, to edit those out. And yeah, so there's a little bit of an edge. This is sort of back when I was a little bit younger and, um, there's a little bit of frustration and anger maybe, but I think that the points definitely still hold and just reading them uh, was sufficiently entertain- entertaining for me that I, f- I figured I'm going to share them this week. So here's the, uh, the brief series, Anxiety and Elephants. Do you suffer from sleeplessness, anxious feelings? obsessive worrying about the future that makes it hard to function? If you find yourself saying yes, then you may be suffering from generalized anxiety disorder, and a chemical imbalance may be to blame. That's from a Paxil commercial, uh, for those of you who don't watch much TV. And I mean no disrespect to any of you who have or are suffering from anxiety, depression, or any other mental health problem. But the notion that so-called mental illnesses are predominantly physiological, or brain pathologies is, to my mind, a striking example of ignorance and non-integral thinking. And by integral, I mean biopsychosocial, essentially. And I say this with genuine compassion, having spent years of my professional life working with people diagnosed with mental illnesses. Now, drug companies obviously drive much of the current research in psychiatry these days. And the medical establishment the people that prescribe Paxil, they've produced an abundance of evidence to support their viewpoint. You've got your brain scans, your analysis of neurotransmitter levels, and all that. And I don't really uh, contest the the notion necessarily that we live in a culture that's unbalanced chemically, because this may be just a fact. 
what frustrates me is this cleverly marketed misunderstanding that it's an imbalance in our chemical structure that is the absolute root of the problem. And so when we're developing treatments, we have to have a chemical intervention. And this whole state of affairs relieves us of the responsibility for our own state of being. Now, if we took a brain scan and did a chemical analysis of a person who just stuck his head in an elephant's asshole, we would surely note when we compared the results to a scan and analysis of the same person a week later, you know, with his head still in the elephant's ass, there'd be many differences between the insertion point and this week later point. You know, the long-term exposure to the elevated temperature of the elephant's ass, along with the lack of breathable air, this would uh, undoubtedly have profound physiological effects. The Paxil pushers of the world would like us to believe that our subject's chemical imbalance should be quote-unquote treated by giving him some pill. Now, this pill ostensibly is going to directly act on this person's physiological structure in a way that facilitates a change toward the closest possible approximation of his initial state of relative chemical balance, that state just before he inserted his head in, into the elephant. Now, that's one approach, I suppose, but then you have the common sense alternative of simply having your subject remove his head from the elephant's ass, and, and that would seem to be a little simpler and would undoubtedly achieve more satisfactory results. I mean, clearly, pulling head from ass is the more appropriate response in this situation. But imagine if every time we tried to point this out, we were encouraged to ignore the fact that the guy's head was in the elephant's ass. That every time we even glanced in the direction of the elephant's ass, our attention was redirected to brain scan and physiological data. I, I, I suppose you get the point. Anything Anything at all can be considered in terms of its chemical properties and physical structure. And any change in subjective experience has a correlative change on an objective, observ observable level. But it simply does not follow that depression, anxiety, or any other mental illness is caused by a chemical imbalance or should necessarily be treated by a chemical intervention. I mean, if a tiger were to walk onto my front porch, my physiology would change measurably. And I would consider it insane for someone to suggest that my resultant anxiety was caused by the physiological changes or that I should swallow some Paxil. I'm thankful that many of the folks that I work with, such as people that are tormented by voices in their head or depressed to the point of attempted suicide, I'm thankful that these people find relief in medication. In fact, I'm all for the use of chemicals for any and all psychological problems, even having a few beers after a tough day at work or, or getting high on marijuana to deal with your anxiety. Anything that helps is good, so long as you understand, at least as much as possible, what you're doing and why you're doing it. The person who takes the Paxil and stays on the front porch with the tiger, that person might get eaten alive. Now, the problems we face in life are complicated beasts, and they can't be understood or effectively addressed with anything less than a comprehensive biopsychosocial, cultural, or what I'm calling integral approach. But the Paxil pushers of the world are only telling us really what we want to hear. We can't just blame them. I mean, we want 
to keep our gaze fixed on these brain scans and the hormone-level printouts. We're more than willing to spend however much it costs for those little pink pills. It's such a small price to pay for the warmth and security of that big, pillowy ass. It's as cozy as Mama's womb, by golly, and once you get used to the smell, you don't even realize where your head's buried. I've worked with many, many people with psychological problems in the extreme, and it's impossible not to think that some of these folks are primarily the victims of some kind of brain disorder. I mean, I don't deny that genetics can be a factor and that some people can inherit a dysfunctional brain or a tendency to have certain problems. Anyone who's ever worked with developmentally disabled people or people whose brains that have been affected by injury or disease can attest to the reality and the effects of brain dysfunction. There are also some very interesting twin studies on schizophrenia that should be taken in, into account when you're trying to understand these issues. In my experience, however, these kind of extreme conditions are exceedingly rare, and they certainly don't account for the phenomenon that we see these days where one out of every four people has a diagnosable mental illness. So to be clear, I do think problems in functioning can be due primarily to structural problems in the brain, inherited or otherwise. My main point, though, is that it's dangerous and just flat-out wrong to think of psychological problems or suggestive ex uh, subjective experience in general as being caused by objective or physiological realities. My example of the tiger and the elephant might have been a little over the top, but in general, I do see people being seduced you know, by, quote-unquote, the man, but also by their own understandable desire for relief, um, seduced into making these physiological or brain uh, arguments primary. Be you know, when obviously a more balanced or integral approach is, is probably in order. Now, in some cases, such as grief over the death of a loved one or the psychological abuse of a child, we can see how simplistic and reductionistic it is to think in terms of causes, per se. I mean, someone in a prolonged state of grief or a child exposed to the stress of continued confusion and terror, those people are going to change on a physiological level in ways that can be measured. But to say that their subjective feelings are caused by the physiological changes is no more or less true than saying their feelings are caused by the death of a loved one or by the abuse. The way we respond to death is partly a matter of how death is viewed in our culture. And the child abuse might partly be influenced by cultural and economic factors. So human health has to be looked at integrally or biopsychosocially if you're going to effectively deal with these issues. I mean, even the, the language here makes things difficult. I mean, calling something a psychological problem sounds like it's a denial of physiology and brain functioning. But if you call something a medical problem, it, it sounds like you're denying the social, cultural, and psychological aspects. But however you want to phrase it, if you just want to say problems of living, but they're always going to be a biopsychosocial cultural affair. Although when it comes down to actually helping a real person who's having a problem, your main concern isn't really uh, this conceptual framework. Your concern is going to be what works to help that person. Even if the problems of a schizophrenic man, for instance, do stem from some sort of child abuse, Still, the most helpful thing to do for him may be to prescribe him some antipsychotic medication. I mean, 
if you're a healthcare professional in a psych hospital, for instance, you can't fix all the problems in society, cultural uh, society and culture and in the mind of this particular patient in the three days you're going to have to work with them. But you can prescribe this person a medication and that can help ease the suffering of this person as it does for many, many patients. I think the reason it's so hard to discern the difference between biologically and environmentally caused diseases is partly because of the way we think about causality. What does it mean to acknowledge that stress can cause or contribute to heart disease? When a gang member has a bullet removed from his brain, what's the cause of his death? Is it the bullet? Is it bad parenting? Ineffective social policy? All of the above? There are people for whom the physiological and neuromuscular stress responses have become so repeatedly triggered and habituated that their lives are literally on the line. So how best to treat these diseases of stress? The question is no different for heart disease than for depression. We take meds and have surgeries only to return back to the same stressful job. The paravertebral muscles in the back, they can become so chronically tense that discs will start to bulge. One person is shown the x-ray and encouraged to have surgery to correct the problem. This might help a lot with the pain initially. But there's no insight. There's no improved awareness. So right back to the same stressful situation and more back surgery five years later. Another person maybe is taught how to regain control of their paravertebral muscles. As a result of this learning process, this person can now relax their muscles and then the spine is no longer bent and the discs no longer bulge and then there's no more pain. But in this scenario, you have improved self-awareness, improved functioning, improved insight. Maybe that insight leads to the realization that this person needs to get a new job and then thus removes themselves from this, the stressful situation that uh, sort of triggered this whole course of events. How we understand the cause of a problem will determine what we decide to do about it. For instance, if your eye doctor tells you that your nearsightedness is caused by a refractive structural problem in your eye, then you'll probably get eyeglasses. On the other hand, if you listen to Aldous Huxley or Dr. William Bates and his followers, you could be persuaded that your myopia is primarily a matter of poor seeing habits and that you might regain perfect vision by simply replacing these poor habits with better ones. Uh, the bottom line is this. Glasses are fine. They help you see better immediately and with really no effort on your part other than going to the eye doctor. The Bates method or, or vision therapy, on the other hand, is sort of like meditation. It's going to take time, effort, and commitment. Glasses are uh, sort of an objective um, intervention that you know, obviously just masks symptoms. I mean, it, slapping glasses over your eyes obviously isn't correcting the structural problem in your eye. And of course, people's vision, once they start wearing glasses, tends to get worse and worse. I mean, I've never heard of a prescription going in the opposite direction. Likewise, back surgery will help your back feel better, but it doesn't address the problem in an integral way. I mean, Back surgery doesn't engage your 
subjective awareness. It doesn't look at the environmental factors that might have played into your, your back trouble. And it's the same for psychiatric problems, in my opinion. For me, the most neglected piece and the key is awareness. Awareness heals. But we don't want to hear this. I mean, it may be true that the status quo, by its very nature, suppresses the integral or biopsychosocial truth of health and disease. But we are the status quo. It's, it's we who would rather wear glasses. We're the ones that want to have the back surgery. We want to take the heart meds and the psych meds. I mean, we want to be healthy, but not if that means quitting the job that we go to every day that may be contributing to our lack of health. I mean, without the job, we'd have no way to afford the glasses, the Prozac, and the back surgeries, right? So there you have it, a little bit of a rant. Um, and here I am, you know, in 2015... 11 years or so uh, after um, going on this particular rant. And, you know, I can see, of course, there's it's a complex situation. And, you know, not everybody can leave the job, you know, or leave that stressful situation if you're not in a position of economic privilege. But, again, that all the more speaks to the importance of taking the, the social and cultural domains into account because – you know, there's always a context where you're going to want to have the pill or the electroconvulsive therapy or um, a more biological brain-based intervention at the ready because it's, you know, it's simply impossible to treat every aspect of a person's problem in the 15 minutes or three days or however long you're going to have as a healthcare provider to, to try to help a person. But in the long run, um, I think it's, it's pretty obvious at this point that we have to have a balanced approach if we're going to make any meaningful progress. And it seems pretty uncontroversial to note that, uh, things seem to be getting worse and worse in terms of the number of people that are suffering from diagnosable disorders, whatever framework you want to look at, it doesn't seem like there's, um, the, whatever we're doing now doesn't seem to be all that effective. And I don't think for instance, that as I mentioned in a previous podcast, that the NIH and, and Dr. Tom Mintzel's, uh, brain circuit disorder model is is going to deliver some magic bullet that's going to fix all this. I mean, it's a it's a perfectly valid line of of inquiry, but um, there's only so much money and so much so many resources to go around, and I really don't think we've ever, as a society, given a sustained effort to addressing things uh, in the psychosocial cultural domains with. Um, the full commitment that it really requires. And I'm hoping that by making these arguments and trying to further dialogue and further this inquiry that, um, you know, we can get to a point of consensus where enough 
enough of us agree that this is a road worth going down and then, you know, we can see what works and what doesn't work. Again, if you have any uh, comments or questions, you can reach me at Twitter at integral underscore health, or you can send me an email, bob at integralhealthresources.com, and I'll do my best to address your questions, uh, concerns, and perspectives on a future episode. Thanks, and have a great week.